Welcome to those of you joining us in the Fellowship Hall today and through the broadcast. As we approach the word this morning, would you please pray with me? Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I went to a conference day for pastors this week where theologian Len Sweet was speaking and he gave an illustration in that talk that was so perfectly went with what I'm preaching on today that I'm going to blatantly steal it today to set up my message. In a small town up north, a policeman was out driving and he noticed a man with all of his belongings on his back and in his hands walking along the railroad tracks. And wary of what this man was doing and what he was up to, the policeman stopped him and asked him where he was going. The man told him that his destination was the next town up the tracks, many miles away. And the officer expressed that the people who had property along the tracks might not like him hanging out there, that he might have to arrest him for trespassing. And the man insisted, no, I have a right to be here. And he dug in his bag and he pulled out a piece of paper which he gave to the officer. The officer took it and looked at it and exclaimed, this is a ticket for the train. This is not permission to hike the track, it's a ticket to ride. Now where would he have gotten the idea that what was expected of him was to hike all that way carrying everything he had up the tracks when the train had been created for that purpose and he had in his hand a ticket to ride? It's a ridiculous story, it really is. But in the same way, many times, this is how we approach our Christian life. We've been given the greatest gift of all in Jesus Christ, of hope and joy and peace, of a salvation that does not come from us, but from Him. A free gift of grace. And we're invited to jump on and join Him in living this life through His power. But instead, we often take the ticket and say, thank you, Lord, for the destination of heaven, And then we hitch up our bags and we try to hike this life on our own power. We have our eyes on the destination, but we're missing the hope and the power now. Do you know what I mean? There's a party going on on the train and we are head down and sweating in the heat. And today in our scriptures, Jesus is inviting us to look up, get on the train and see the joy and the freedom that he means for us to have on this journey of life with him. You see, I think far too often we live under the power of the should instead of the Savior. Do you know what I mean? That you're out with family or friends at an outing at the lake, but you can't enjoy it because you know in the back of your mind that the lawn should be mowed today. Or you've got a great idea for something at work or at some place where you volunteer, but you don't say anything because it's it's something for not that's not for your department and maybe you should just let them handle that. Did you ever ask yourself where your shoulds come from? Because sometimes the shoulds in life are very important. God is, God's word is filled with things that tell us how we should live, things that benefit us and help us grow in holiness and in harmony with God and others. And there are many things that we are told we should avoid as we walk in God's way. But other times the shoulds can grow into something that have a life of their own. They can actually keep us from truly following Jesus with our lives. And you can see that over and over again in the Gospels when Jesus confronts the Pharisees about the way that they conduct their lives. He's constantly redirecting them past the should to the why. What truly is most important? Is that where your center is found? 
See, sometimes we can actually get so focused on the shoulds in life that we forget that they're not the point. We can forget to look to the Lord for the work He wants to be doing in us and through us. See, the Christian life can't be measured with a checklist. Ultimately, the Christian life is not about the shoulds. It's about growing deep into relationship with the living God who loves us and forgives us when we fall and who wants us to grow and be challenged and develop spiritually in relationship with himself. The world measure thing, measures things with how we meet the standard of expectations. But Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, is the only one who perfectly meets all expectations of the only one who matters for eternity. Jesus came to pay the price for our sin, to be the way and the truth and the life for us. And our only hope is to be fully dependent on his saving work. Our job is no longer to try and earn salvation by mastering our shoulds. Our calling is to focus on the who and the what and the why. Because when we put our focus on who Jesus is as our savior, what's important to him as our Lord, and why he calls us to follow him in particular ways in our own lives, then what's most important of the shoulds starts happening naturally in our lives, not as a duty, but as an expression of who we are as Jesus' own people. It's an important spiritual question to ask on a regular basis. Is my life focused on what is actually most important? Is my life available to the Lord to use however he wants to use me? Or am I just trying to live up to the shoulds that make me feel like a good person? A good person and a godly person are not the same thing. Because one seeks to measure up to society's standard of goodness, and one seeks to be a servant of God's purposes. So what does it look like in life when we let go of the should and instead embrace the Savior? In the Gospel of Luke, we see a story where Jesus himself helps us see the difference between living for the should and for the Savior. And in this account, Martha, the hostess, is taking on a role that she feels is expected of her. And when Mary didn't show up to help in the kitchen, Martha was furious. Because in that culture, Mary, as the sister of the hostess, should be helping her serve, not learning at the feet of Jesus. And Martha reacted from the should. She thought that Mary was being lazy or presumptuous. Maybe she was jealous or embarrassed by Mary's social faux pas. But Mary wasn't living by the should in that moment. She could, all that she could see was Jesus himself. And in what was truly a countercultural move, she was daring to believe that what Jesus came to do was also for her as much as it was for anyone else in that room. And it's that kind of radical trust that comes with knowing that one is valued and loved by the Lord. And when Martha challenges Jesus to tell Mary what she should be doing, Jesus answers in a way that makes it clear that what matters to him is not what the culture expects, but what's happening in the heart of his child. And he clearly states that what Mary has chosen is better. If there's a should in the picture that Jesus gives, it's that Mary is right where she should be, learning from the heart of her Savior. Mary has chosen the better, he said, and it will not be taken away from her. And it never is. What Mary learned in that moment, and what Martha learned as well, I believe, changed their lives. Jesus invited them to dare to believe that this good news was for them. And what is most important for the person and for the world is knowing Jesus because everything else in life flows from that source. And often when we hear this story, we have compassion for Martha because we know it's also a good thing to serve people. 
But when Jesus says that Mary has chosen the better, I don't think he's trying to point out the difference in action, but the difference in heart. Because serving with joy is a way that people can see and experience Jesus' love in us, but it doesn't seem like that's what's happening here. If Martha is just working out of a sense of obligation, if she's doing what she's expected to do, if she feels her only worth or identity is found in being useful and doodly fulfilling what she should, she will never know the kind of joy that Jesus wants her to have. And when Jesus made it clear that Mary had chosen the one thing that was important and it would not be taken away from her, he was also telling Martha that her value too to him was much more than just being a servant. Now, I'm sure that Jesus loved her cooking because Bethany was one of his favorite places to go. He loved hanging out there. But it so distressed him to see this in Martha that he would rather not eat at all than for her relationship with him to become about work. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. In humility, we call ourselves servants of God, but that is not all that we are. And that's such good news. Because deep down, something in us realizes that a master doesn't love his servants. He orders them. He pays them. He dismisses them. He retains them for their usefulness. But Jesus calls us friends. We are his beloved ones, and because he chose in love to selflessly serve us, in love we choose to imitate him by living out that love in lives of service as well. Serving is what we do, but beloved is who we are. And it's a whole different thing to serve the world as the beloved ones than to see oneself as a servant who is also supposed to love. One of the great defining documents of the Protestant church says, The chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There's something very wise in that statement, that God is glorified when we enjoy him. As Leonard Sweet says, Jesus doesn't want you to work at this relationship. He wants you to play it. You don't work a violin. You play it. Jesus wants us to feel the music of it, to be immersed in it, to let who he is, his love, to fill you with a joy then that will so naturally lead to following. Now, anything that's played, of course, also needs to be practiced. It's good to have a work ethic, but even more so, it's good to have a play ethic, that in practicing our spiritual life, our heart needs to be like Mary's, centered on the purpose of experiencing the joy of relationship with Jesus, because that's when our spirit resonates with his. That's when his power is at work in us, the power of the Holy Spirit, who can and does change the world. And a well-played life comes not from buckling down and listening to the shoulds, but enjoying and following the lead of the Savior. So the question is, do we live like we belong to the Savior or that we belong to the should? When Martha asked Jesus to conform to the cultural expectation of what's good for Mary to be doing, Jesus answered with a question about the heart of what's really most important. Martha, what's most important? That Mary serve now or that she learn to love the, the love of the Father for her, which will carry her into joyful serving all her life? Jesus' question sets us free to find ourselves as joyful, beloved friends of God, serving a different master than the world's expectation. 
to live knowing that we are loved and freed, to joyfully serve the one who has first served us. We live by the Savior, not the should. Which now brings us to our passage in Acts today. Our story from Acts is about a truly groundbreaking couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And they're very different than anyone we've seen before because they live clearly serving a different master with their lives. And their lives haven't been easy, certainly. Priscilla and Aquila were Jewish Christians and they were kicked out of Rome by their emperor. They were refugees in Corinth. And they met Paul, and since they were all tent makers, workers of the same trade, and they were all followers of Jesus, they worked together and they became fast friends. And this relationship is really pretty amazing. This husband and wife were engaged together in their daily work and in their ministry together. When Paul felt the call to move on to Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila went with him as a missionary couple and became his home base in the city and as he moved on to establish ministries other places. And obviously, Paul had confidence in them being able to share the truth of Jesus with that community. And truly, these two were poised to have quite an impact. They were deeply rooted in the Jewish history of the Christian faith so they could speak very knowledgeably to the Jews about Jesus as the Messiah. And they were also Roman citizens from Rome itself so they could speak with understanding to the Roman contingent who were curious about this faith. Aquila had the ability to speak to his fellow businessmen and Priscilla had the ability to be part of the circles of women in the city. And in their love and confidence in Jesus, their understanding of what was most important was clear from what happened next in their story. Scripture shows us, as Jewish Christians, this couple participated in the synagogue in Corinth, forming relationship with the Jews there. And Acts 18.24 says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now this guy, Apollos, he was really impressive. He knew the scriptures. He had been instructed. He wanted to pass on what he'd learned. He was a great speaker. He was from Alexandria, which is an ancient center of learning and culture. He was a powerhouse of willpower and potential. But there was something that he didn't have. Something that he would absolutely need if he were to succeed. And that one thing was the same thing that Jesus said Mary had found that would not be taken away from her. See, Apollos only knew the baptism of John. And the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance, a baptism of moral improvement. It was a baptism saying, I'm sorry for my sins, God. I'll try to be better and try to do better next time. And although Apollos knew about Jesus and he was excited about Jesus' teaching, he was still living under the power of the should. He was very energetically hiking up the track, but he was not living by the power of the Savior. He hadn't yet figured out that there was a train that he should be on. See, the baptism of Jesus isn't like the baptism of John. It's really not about our effort at all. It's a baptism into Jesus' death and resurrection for us. It's a recognition that you can't accomplish all you should. You must put your faith instead into the one who has done it for you. The baptism of Jesus changes the direction from self-effort to conform to the good to complete dependence on the goodness of God that leads you into the godly, which is better than our good, because it doesn't come from us. 
Apollos had a lot of gifts, but he was missing what was most important, to humbly sit at the feet of his master and receive with joy that which could not be taken away from him. And what it took for this learned, talented, culturally schooled, academically celebrated, energetic, popular, dashing young man to be empowered by that truth that was evading him was an invitation of two blue-collar craft labor refugees in their home. It took the Mary of this next generation named Priscilla, who had experienced this truth of Jesus and her husband Aquila, to dare to step into this situation and to share that good news. Now that might not sound shocking to us. In fact, it might sound like a pretty boring story to be talking about. But actually, it's groundbreaking. Because in that time, women did not participate in teaching things of faith. To children, yes. Other women, yes. To men, no. In that time, women didn't actually have any other means of surviving but marriage. And most women of marriage age were caring for children. There was no such thing as baby formula. And most families couldn't afford to hire anyone else to do it. So taking care of the children, of the home, of feeding the family, pretty much took up all their time there was in a day for a woman. And education wasn't often something that was even offered to a girl because the girls were needed to help care for the family. Much like what often happened in, with kids and farm families, even here in Minnesota not too long ago. Now that wasn't every woman's story, of course. There were some businesswomen like Lydia in the New Testament and some wealthy women who had influence, but largely women were not even involved in the same spheres of life as the men were, and they were rarely invited to take, partake in learning, much less teaching. But there are biblical examples of this. Stories of Israel's judge Deborah and Anna the prophetess come to mind, but mostly it was a rarity. But Priscilla had heard the stories of Jesus. And I'm guessing she knew the story of Mary and Martha, and she knew for herself from her own relationship with Jesus what was the most important thing. She knew that there is only one leader in the Christian life, and that's Jesus. Only Jesus. And the rest of us, no matter where God places us, are in the role of followers. I am a follower of Jesus. And no matter what role you have in the world, that's your identity too. As Martin Luther once said, pastors, teachers, leaders in faith are just as everyday followers of Jesus, simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. And if we let cultural pressure keep us from sharing where the bread is, because we feel like it's someone else's job to do that, We've stopped serving the only one who is our leader. We've forgotten this is not about our power, but his. We've forgotten what is most important. He's called us friends. And it's always one friend who introduces another friend. Priscilla could have thought, wow, he's missing the true power of Jesus. Something should say to some, something to him about that. But instead, she risked cultural disapproval and adored Christ by sharing Jesus' heart with this learned man of status. And as a result, the world was blessed in the powerful witness of Apollos. This passage shows us the truth that Paul came to see in Galatians 3. It says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the center of that verse is, it's not about you. It's about him. Get on the train. 
and give a hand up wherever you are to those who are looking for that same joy because God wants to use every heart that belongs to him to take part in his saving work in whatever way we are available to be used. Priscilla didn't shy away from the opportunity, but she dared to risk cultural disapproval to make Christ known because she served a different master than the culture and she had chosen the better. Sometimes the shoulds in our lives do direct us to the purpose of blessing the world in Jesus' name. But sometimes they don't. And when they head in different directions, what will guide our steps? What's most important? What honors the Savior more? For what we have in Jesus is the better, and it will not be taken away from us. So today, are you a servant who is supposed to love? Or do you know that you are the beloved one of God? who shows who you are by giving back from what has been given to you. Isn't it time to get on the train and live by his power? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess in our lives of faith there are so many times when we just put our head down and try to work at it. When you're calling us to ride instead, to let you carry us and empower us and infuse us with your joy. Lord, please don't let us miss the joy of your presence, the freedom of knowing that you alone are Lord among all the expectations of the world. Lord, you are forever, and you've called us friend. You've invited us to share in your mission of love. So Lord, give us hearts like Mary and the courage of Priscilla to enjoy you, Jesus, and to live that love out loud with joy so the world may know that you are good and that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.